Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to The Shit Show. We're doing it live. We're doing it live. Kia ora, everyone. Welcome to a very, very special edition of the shit show. Um, I'm here with Duncan, Slam Dunk, DJ to the stars. What is Me- that? <laughs> that is not, that is the worst way I could have possibly introduced yeah, you, eh? Just, just, it's just lies. No, it's just, well, you are a DJ. But and not to the stars, and only very. Oh, it's like so it's it's low down on the road. Not to the stars, thing. offending everyone that's ever been in the room that you've DJed. Um, okay, well, I'm here with Duncan, media genius. Is that maybe better? No, stop it. But it's fine. Just like Thank normal, like normal it. dude, bestie of Siska. You've all heard him um, on our Culture Vulture podcast about Succession. He introduced me to Succession, which is why he must stay in my life because that is. The thing that – it's like my litmus test for people now that I know are going to be my friends or not. I have to be like, have you seen Succession? And if they have, it's like, okay. It's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. So Dunk's here in place of Squish. Squish is off in the States gallivanting around as he often is. So as much as we miss him, honestly, it's kind of the best thing to be able to do this at at a normal hour and with Duncan who like just knows – Often a lot more than me about a lot of things, which again, I can see you're about to say, no, I don't, <laughs> but you do. Well, no, I don't think that that's, <laughs> I don't think it's true. We, we, we just are, we're very interested in the same stuff. Yeah. And so it's great. And you, you all know how the shit show works. We aim to bring two stories each and teach each other about it. Um, that doesn't always happen. As you know, you've all been listening for ages, so who knows what today's going to be like. Duncan, I do want to start off um, by you telling everyone about your morning. Oh, look, it's it's not it's not been ideal. I um I got I played basketball. Oh, hence my name. Um, a slam dunk. Really, if I'm honest, very good D, but really atrocious offense, which is pr- pretty much my trademark. Duncan, very good D, grief. <laughs> My God. Um, tried to write a little review of Aldous Harding, which I went to last night. Did you see Liv? I did not see Liv. Okay. I've had, I'm not even sure Liv was there, if I'm honest. Okay. Um, but, so, you know, not normal hectic start to the day. Got to work to have coffee with a friend, get a phone call from my wife. And as soon as she calls, I'm like, there's no, only one reason she's calling. It's because I've taken the car keys to work, Is and, but not the car. No, it was just a vibe. And okay. I just instantly looked down. There's that, there's that bulge in my pocket. <laughs> I know, I know, and um, and it just that that was just like the shot of adrenaline, and just had to like sprint home and sprint back. But I'm here and I'm ready. Oh well, it's good because Duncan has been just ferociously for the past I don't know maybe thirty seconds scribbling down some thoughts in his little notebook, which I'm excited to hear about. I should also also mention Duncan has his own podcast called The Fold, which is probably my favorite podcast in the world. And this isn't like meant to be. 
I actually wasn't even meant to plug this. It just came to my head now because I'm looking at you thinking, damn, like your voice is kind of everything and the fold is what I relate back to hearing your voice. So you should all go listen. If you're interested in the media industry or I would say the creator economy, get go and listen to the fold and also there's a really good episode where me and Duncan talk to a guy called Rex Woodbury and you should listen to that definitely. That was a great time. It was a great time. Duncan, we should start with the weirdest thing you saw on the internet this week. I don't know if this is like, if it's weird so much as it is just this, it's this this drum that's just beating ever louder and I, I now kind of see it everywhere and feel it all the time and it's just, you know, it's just playing in my brain and it's just that this rise of like consumer facing AI type uh, products. I think AI for has you know the the concept has been around for a long time and we've sort of heard about it more than we've seen it and then every so often you'd glimpse it and it'll be almost like comically bad yeah you'd be like I, you know I, I'm of the generation who grew up watching Terminator Two which is basically you know the, and the, the the Terminator movies are about advanced AI that gets out of control and tries to destroy humanity and that was the kind of the the sort of fearful end game and then you'd see this just like actively terrible like transcription service and you'd be like this this like, isn't this AI isn't, will never take over AI us. will never take over it just it almost didn't seem to be getting better at all and then suddenly earlier this year you had Dali 2 and Mid Journey and you're like which are the, the the image generation services that come out of a text prompt and you're like this is scary we have good. a really good episode of Culture Vulture which is kind of like going really against Dali mm-hmm. 2 but it's it's about you know how when you type in something and then you get those freaky images that are created out of what you typed and what that might do to artists? So that's what Dunk's talking about right now in normal people terms. <laughs> this is what I do. Th- no, yeah. this is what I do. I make sure I'm listening to you, I get it, and then everyone gets it more. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, like I think, the you know, I, I understand why people are aghast and against Dali too and why, you know, certain creators have used a, a Dali 2 image and then been smashed by artists and had to apologize and so on. I get that it's really complicated, but the history of technology is often the people who are displaced by it, you know, getting mad and ultimately the technology displaces them and they find new things to do. And it's, you know, sad and it's complicated, but the technology tends to win. That That's, mm. that's what you see over the mm. long term with humanity. And, uh, it's funny because, you know, this this uh, commentator who I really like, um, Benedict Evans, basically talked about how we the AI and versions of technology have been taking jobs forever. They've tended to be kind of manual labor type jobs, and the creative class has been like, well, that's progress. And now suddenly they're like right up against the edge of creative class type jobs, and we're like, this is a problem. We've, mm. we, we've got to solve it. Um, and... The the things that I saw this week, the weird things, just to <laughs> finally just, I, I answer your question. To, honestly, I was about uh, to come in. I, I saw Lex, which is basically a an AI writing tool where you can just you, if you have done some writing and you give it a prompt for what what you know should come next, it generates like a paragraph or a few sentences. And again, like even the Google predictions that you see in like Gmail have always been pretty like, I mean, that's default, but it's not, it's never felt kind of superhuman. Yeah. This was like, wow. So have you seen this one? So I have, I was meant to read it before this episode, but I have a newsletter in my 
inbox unread that was written with this thing that I'm yet to read, but like this whole fucking newsletter was written using AI and I'm, to be honest, I probably shouldn't comment on it because I haven't looked into it that much, but that's why you're here. What do you feel about it? I mean, I think the fact of there being a newsletter written by AIs is kind of interesting. What I feel about it is complicated. Like what are schools going to do and unis and shit going to do? I, I know. Like, yeah. how how do you if, you, if you can, if you can't, if you can generate original content, which could be submitted as an essay through a series of prompts that you can chuck into any kind of plagiarism check that you want, and it won't be flagged because it is original. And yeah. how do you prove that the student wrote it? I mean, it feels so challenging. It's, it is. It's the Wild West. But it's kind of, at the same time, it's interesting because we don't want technology technology to just stop at a certain point and then we're all just all good with it. So it's like new things like this are always buzzy. Yeah, I read this um, this uh, book a few years ago, which basically the, the theory was that this AI was coming, that you know, software robots were going to be everywhere and humans weren't going to be displaced by them, but they were going to have their lives made better, their working lives made better, and they would sort of, the the, the new creative class jobs would be working alongside the mm. robots. And I can kind of see that. Like I like one of the things it does, for example, this text thing, is you can run, you, you know, you can put your sample headline up there and it'll generate like six different headlines. And of the six headlines it generated uh, on, on this sample, I was like, three of those are funny and trash. Two yeah. of them are basically a bit like like a bot wrote it. Yeah. One of them's quite good. And someone still has to pick the one that's quite good. Yeah. At least that's for now. That's what people are saying about Dali as well. Like the artist puts in prompts. First of all, you have to put in really good fucking prompts. Second of all, like you have to pick out of all of them what one is actually meaningful or is actually your style or whatever. And you have to learn taste and taste is an art form. And so there are like it is still up to to a degree the creative like using the tech, which I think is something we left out in our very first conversation about it and something that I think about more and more now. What's the other AI thing? It was basically like a music generation tool. And this was kind of freaky because basically it has this huge list of genres and and moods. And some of them are quite funny. Like One of the moods is like NFT chic or no, something. You're just like, that's no. the end of the world. Um, <laughs> and but it was not like a... But but it was like amazingly quick to generate original music. So if if you had like a podcast and you needed a bed or or a, or a link or you know say you're making something for a web series and you don't you can't afford to to yeah. pay rights management but you need something to go in that space like it's quite useful. I can also see musicians who painstakingly yeah. assemble this stuff being like, "What the hell?" But that's Disruption's been going on for a long yeah. time. Like it used to be that like a you know, a rapper would have to pay like tens of thousands of dollars for even like a so so beat from a famous producer. And then, you know, you had like Old Town Road, I think the beat cost like five bucks or fifty bucks or something, you know, because it you know, there, there's effectively like a global market for talent there. So th- these things are just being dis- disrupted in fairly major ways. The music one, like the music itself is I'm completely indifferent to it. I, yeah. It leaves me completely cold. And, you know, when you go and see, like, all this hard-hitting last night and it's just this whole world, you're like, yeah. this is never going to be challenged. But there is so much of 
music and just of creative product generally, which really just needs to be a thing that sits there because it's not actually about the product. And that is confronting for people, but it's also reality. Yeah. And I think one thing that I am starting to come back to a little bit is that the reason I feel so personally attacked by this technology is obviously because we work in the creative sphere. But then I'm thinking like when Uber came along, taxi drivers felt the exact same way. Like when Airbnb came along, hotel owners felt the exact same way. And now that it's a creative industry that's really feeling like threatened, that's why I feel this way. And I'm kind of like, oh, loose. Like, duh, that's how other people have been feeling for ages. Check yourself a little bit. Um, Also, just really funny that your... Your weirdest thing on the internet is longer than like a usual news story that we bring to the table. Like me and Nick are usually like, yeah, I saw this meme or I saw this thing. And like my weirdest thing this week is literally, first of all, and this is kind of embarrassing and I didn't know if I was going to say it, but I'm feeling comfortable. So feels like when you don't know whether you're going to say something, it gets said. Yes, it does. Because we have this energy where, well, I definitely do. I can't hold anything in. Anyway, um, you know how Liz Truss is no longer the Prime Minister, which is actually my news story, one of my news stories this week, so spoiler. Um, and there was all that lettuce chat. Like, did yeah. you see all the lettuce oh, memes? I, I, I loved the um, the Daily Star had that, like, live blog, like, live live clip of a, of a lettuce and Liz Truss and lettuce one. Yeah, so, okay, I didn't know that that was the origin of um, why there was all these lettuce memes floating around on Twitter and, and why people were talking about lettuce in relation to Liz Truss. And it was because, yeah, the Daily Star had this thing, will this lettuce last longer than Liz Truss? And so, like, in my head, and I was posting these memes, like, to shit you care about and in the newsletter and stuff. I thought Truss was a type of lettuce. <laughs> and, like, people were making all these jokes. I was like, Fuck, that's funny. And it was only when I came to write my weirdest thing. And I was like, I Googled, what? Like, is trust a type of lettuce? And then I realized, like, no, it's not Lucy, you actual dumb bitch. It, it is just, oh, I don't know. And I usually pride myself on being good at, like, Internet sourcing things. where something's from. Um, but Verifying I, it. Honestly, I'd gone ham on posting about these lettuces i don't know if that's the plural of lettuce but um yeah that was so my weirdest thing was basically also my behavior on the internet this week has been kind of weird and <laughs> just in terms of i'm obsessed with the 1975 you can listen to culture vulture to hear all about this but um i've been kind of embarrassed on main and that's cool i'm feeling confident on main again yeah i noticed that and you also like posted your your sort of what what like are you happy a, or are you just distracted? Yeah, like, which is quite like a personal note for you yeah. on Maine. I feel like Outside for, of the comfortable, safe confines of a New Zealand pod. I know. And then it kind of gave me this like weird validation or like it gave me a dopamine hit like I used to get in the old days of being on Maine. And then kind of after 2020 and all that, pulled back a little bit, went to the newsletter. But yeah, I, I did get a lot of diagnoses. Um, a lot of people saying that I have certain things, and she may, <laughs> we may, but we make it work for us. And that will be something I'll write about one day because I just have so much content about online diagnosis. Anyway, Duncan, what is your actual first news story, and will it take up the entire rest of the podcast? Oh, it's so embarrassing. No, it, I, I just have a problem, like with. <laughs> verbosity and going on too long so apologies to your listeners my my news story is tiktok 
uh, doing a 50-50 revenue share split with creators, which, like, and it's not everybody, but it's, you know, you have to, ha- like, ha- meet, meet a, a few different requirements. But I think this is a really sort of game-changing thing that they've introduced, and it's a really, really challenging thing for, for certain, t- you know, certain other social media companies, particularly Meta's, to, yeah. to sort of see how they respond to that. Especially when everyone is sort of leaning into this, we really look after our creators' energy because they're realising how much power creators have. But it's like the best way to look after them, bro, is pay them. And that seems to be – so what's YouTube's split? YouTube is 45-55, I think, and wow. marginally in favour of the creator. I could have that wrong. Yeah. But that, YouTube has been this thing that's just grown quietly, and we didn't even know its earnings forever because Google didn't break them out independently of its, you know, of its parent, Alphabet. Mm-hmm. And they have only done that relatively recently. And, and I, I think that one of the reasons it's actually, you know, you think about all of the sort of chaos in terms of both audience and creator behavior we've seen in terms of the flow from Snap to, uh, you know, from Tumblr to, to Snap to, yeah. to Facebook to Instagram to TikTok and Google just – and YouTube just marches on. Yeah. And I think that's in part because that, that revenue share allows people to plausibly have meaningful businesses generated on their platform. And, and that that's really the way the world should be structured. Yeah. And I think it's like – I mean, there's not a lot, except for actually using TikTok, there's not a lot that I love about TikTok. I mean, we could sit here for a whole hour and talk about, like, the data or the young people getting their news from it or any anything, but I do like that because I like anyone that recognises the people that actually make your platform shine are the people using it and the creators, and a 50-50 split seems legit. Yeah, I mean, you'd love it if it was 75, 25, and, you know, who knows where this ends. We haven't, we, for a long time, social media looked like it was a whole bunch of monopolies of different aspects of it, but you have true competition now between yeah. where, where YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram are all effectively have the same products and going after the same market, and they, so you might see people move, because the creators can just shop around and say, look, yeah. where, where, where do I best fit? What's the best deal? And I also read, um, and this kind of goes back to, actually, no, maybe I'll start with this. I went and spoke at Otago Girls High School the other week and asked them all where they got their news. And one person put their hand up and said, my parents have the 6pm news going on in the background. And then no so one- So one person out of how many? Out of maybe 30 or 40. I mean, that's pretty like- I mean- For the news. Well, we all know yeah. the news at 6pm, linear TV- Like, not relevant for young people. Not a hot take at all. But then I was like, oh, you know, most of the time I'm on TikTok and I'm not there to get my news, but I'll scroll past something and, you know, just because I'm there, the news is being fed to me without me actually wanting to find it. I was like, how many people find themselves on TikTok accidentally getting the news? Everyone in the room's hand went up. And so then I've been thinking about that a lot lately. It's kind of been freaking me out a little bit because – it's so hard, even you and I who have like publications or organisations that could maybe challenge this or help, I was going to say help balance it out. No, we can't. Like, Not to be cynical, but no matter how much energy we wanted to put into making really good news factual shit for TikTok, it just, like, it would be 
what a drop in the ocean. I just it scares me that I don't think we as the users or creators can actually do anything about the fake news or like the contextless news that's on there. It's it just seems an odd thing to as a society, as a country, say we're we're going to let this new thing just appear, um, which will just because of its incredible sort of engineering and what it uh, exposes you to, it's going to take up a massively disproportionate share of attention. Starting really young, like TikTok was the first platform for, uh, you know, for like it feels like it grew out of almost pre-teens yeah. and teens, and th- and now it's kind of gone up yeah. from there, but. It's amazing, like, you know, it, as someone who's worked in journalism, you know, for like 15, 20 years and just knows how annoyingly hard it is to verify things. Very frequently you see things on there that are presented as fact that yes. are like, whether it's a historical or just like a tiny sliver of a longer interview yes. that's totally out of context. And you're like, it's, you have to be almost like a professional journalist to kind of be able to figure out yes. what it is you're seeing. Then you have to try and disentangle how it's impacting your mind. And then you're just like, why am I seeing like 15 Ram raids? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is weird. And then you're like, how the hell is a 12-year-old supposed yes. to deal with that? There's no way. And like that thinking, I remember when I was 12 and I was just soaking up as much as I could and trying to learn about the world. And if you're learning about the world through one For You page that is literally for you and you have no choice over it, it's so cooked. I read a headline the other day that said um, a quarter of all – it said U.S. adults under thirty, which adults under thirty is kind of an oxymoron to me. Um, now get their news from TikTok. Like a quarter of all people under thirty are getting their news from TikTok in the U.S., and that's actually like bananas to me. But it, it, I mean, I could guess that that was the case. It, it, yeah, it both makes perfect sense, and it's also like profoundly challenging in a way that we haven't even really, really begun to comprehend. I think because like that that statistic uh, 10 years ago was replace TikTok with Facebook. Yeah. But that was kind of almost less confronting because that was largely people sharing links to conventional kind of news outlets there. Maybe there are a few kind of fringy things, mm. a few blogs, but it was basically taking a thing that we knew how to do in a different environment, i.e. newspapers, mm-hmm. and put it on the in, on the internet. This is not that. Mm-hmm. It's more challenging again. And it'll be real interesting to see what sort of post-TikTok elections start to look like. Oh, my God, I know. Oh, there's actually so much I want to talk to you about on this topic, and I'm kind of going to indulge it for just a, like a few seconds. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, On this... In this article about all the US people using TikTok for news, it was it's really interesting. Every other social media site is downward trend, except for Instagram is still slightly going up and people using that for news, which blew me away a little bit because in my head, my actions and my the places I go for news, like newsletters, are the like that's where in my head it's like that's what all young people are doing. Obviously not, Lucy. You are one in 
billion. And so it was interesting to see that Instagram, even though it's only going up slightly, still going up. But TikTok is like... It's eating the world. It's so interesting. It's eating the world. Also, do you think... This has just come to me now, and I don't know if it's a good idea. um, There should be, like, TikTok should pay for a whole branch called, like, TikTok News, and then they pay people like BBC, Guardian, us, you, me, like, basically what Facebook should have done, and they pay people to make good content and then they put it up in their algorithm because it's factual. If they're smart, that's what they'll just do, you know, because basically the the history of of technology is that you you make a a shit ton of money, you acquire a shit ton of market share while the government's back is turned. Like government moves very slowly and technology moves very quickly. There is no regulation around it. But I think if you look at the kind of – the big regulatory battles that Google and Amazon and Facebook are, are undergoing now. It's yesterday's war. It's like the 2016 era issues which are being litigated, but it is happening. Mm. And I think for TikTok, if they can sort of get out ahead of it and say, look, we know this is an issue, we're going to say we'll kind of insert this into feeds unless people explicitly kind of opt out of it and we'll work with this network of verified news providers and we'll give them all the advice and training you know, I think that will be a really smart play that they'll almost certainly yeah. do. But it's also, it's the Chinese government. What is the function of TikTok to them? That's what I was just about to say. Um, I was like, one, this would have to be in their commercial interests, first of all. Two, are they going to want to do that? Because, like, do, I mean, I can't speak on behalf of the whole of fucking TikTok, but I'll try. No, do do they want us having factual verified news is that good for their business or for their data you know sucking up totally and or is that like a negative for them you know against you know youtube or 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 instagram because it makes their product a bit more boring and a a bit less sort of 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 the you know i think there's almost like the the engineers at these companies can have a kind of almost like a a semi-religious attitude towards revealed preferences of users yeah. i what they watch what they let let play through what they what they like those those three little signals that you have being the only god yeah so if they wanted to see news they would see news yeah they don't therefore they don't yeah it's really interesting wow right i think i should get into a news story and This is going to be quick because I think most people already know about it, but I just feel like I should talk about it because we talked so much about Boris Johnson. We talked a little bit about Liz Truss, and now I just feel like I need to inform you all that Liz Truss has resigned as the UK Prime Minister. Um, She had 45 incredibly bumpy, incredibly random days. It's about as chaotic. Uh, uh, like uh, she, she did the most in her forty-five days. She was out there doing the most, doing the most good. I don't know, <laughs> but just doing the most of something. Um, and honestly, I am not the person that we should be turning to to describe this. But Toby Manhire from the spin-off is the person we should be turning to Correct. to talk about this. So I just have a little, a little spiel from Toby. That I want to read out. And Duncan, I don't know if you listen to the shit show very often, but whenever there's news, New Zealand news, that I don't feel equipped to talk about, it's always, let me go to Matt Chapman or Toby Manhire. So today we're going to talk just a little bit about the firsts. Like, the, like I haven't even said who the new Prime Minister is, have I? Rishi Sunak. 
Nice. Okay. So Younger than me. Yeah. Well, I thought we could keep that private for the <laughs> listeners because up until now, you've come across incredibly young and hip. <laughs> it's really confronting to have the Prime Minister of both New Zealand and the UK be younger than you. Like, that's a moment. Yeah. And that is how the world should work, though. It should always be people younger than us running it now. I mean, like the the US is is trying the gerontocracy style where like most of their senators seem to be like 105 and it's not going super well for them. So yeah, why not? Something I always say on this podcast is term limits. Term limits. Term limits. Everywhere and all the time. So into it. Same. That's a whole pod. Um, Okay, so this new Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has a bunch of firsts, as Toby Manhire writes, um, before he even gets his feet under the desk. He is the first person of colour to become Prime Minister, the first Hindu, the first of Indian descent. This is in the UK, everyone. The youngest Prime Minister in modern history, as you just said, Duncan. He's aged 42, born on May the 12th. When were you born? Uh, October 10th, Libras. In 19... 19- 79. Yeah, he was born in 1980. Yeah, so he's a millennial. Yeah, so that's fine. That's fine that we figured that out. He's 75 days older than Jacinda Ardern. And he went, it only took him seven years to go from MP to PM, which is fucking quick. Do you reckon? Yeah, that's that's lightning fast, especially in the UK where there's like 600 MPs and you've really got to just carry water for a while. Yeah. And he's also really, really, really rich. Crazy rich. Like, he's so rich. What did Toby write? He's a former investment banker with Morgan Stanley and hedge fund manager. (laughs) Always the best. Always the best people are hedge fund (laughs) managers. So true. Um, His firm is registered in the Cayman Islands, which is always super legit and cool. His fortune was placed in a blind trust when he became a minister. His wife is the daughter of an Indian tech billionaire. Their combined wealth is estimated at more than 1.5 billion New Zealand dollars. Wow. So, yeah, eek. <laughs> Why does he need this job? Go and relax somewhere else and let someone who, I don't know, isn't super rich and maybe, nah. It's you so, can have money and still care about things. Yeah, I mean, in some respects, like, like there is an argument that the, you know, because we've got a leader of the opposition in New Zealand, Christopher Luxon, who owns like seven palatial homes oh, yeah. and ran our nation's airline for a long time. And there's this argument that like they, the only possible reason that they could want to be prime minister is for the public good because they're certainly not in it for the money, right? Like yeah, the, but at the power. Yeah, well, t- totally, oh, yeah. totally. Okay. But um, but I also think it's definitely scary where like just massive, yeah, like wealth is is not a prereq, but it certainly helps. Oh my god, yeah. So, do you know what the vibe is around Rishi? I think Rishi is like, to my mind, by far the best contender because the the Boris was going to come back. Yeah, he he flooded that for like he flew back from like the Bahamas or something. He just wanted some attention. Yeah, please. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like you've got this weird thing in the Conservative Party where there's like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand members who are just the most extreme conservatives in the country, and they vote. For the leader, and that's mm. why we got Boris Johnson. That's why we got Brexit. That's why we got Liz Truss. They just sort of have control of the party, and then the MPs, who are much more as broadly liberal than than their membership base, just are kind of hostage to these, you know, hundred thousand maniacs. Yeah, and so 
you know, even though it seemed like Sanak was the most obvious candidate, it's almost feels like a miracle that they got a sort of a sort of normal seeming person yeah. to lead the party. It's anyway. It's going to be. I don't. I actually can't predict anything about what it's going to be like because I don't follow UK politics. But no one can. Yeah. Like, like three prime prime ministers in a year, yeah. and and a lettuce being like a, a huge <laughs> part of the discourse. Like, no, who's calling that? No, true. Not even visionaries like us. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? You was just, a joke. You looked so mortified. Then it was great. No, I know it's because Maddie Healy from the nineteen seventy five. He's called himself a visionary, like ironically, but not ironically. And so now that word's in my head and I'm constantly thinking, am I? No, 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 no. I mean, you are. Like, let's be honest. No, No, I'm not. Duncan, shut me up and give me another thing to care about, a new story. (laughs) Sounds like so so terrible. (gasps) What? Well, like... So I wrote down the, um, the, the the sort of title of the, the study of, from which it comes, and it's Prevalence of Emotional Payload in Headlines. And the it's basically a series of like six graphs, yep. and they, they all represent a 20-year span, and they, they kind of the, – these researchers basically just fed phenomenal volumes of, of news headlines from a whole bunch of different publications and mm-hmm. – uh, news sites and, and uh, you know, cable news and so on, and just basically mapped these these kind of broad emotions like anger, disgust, fear, sadness, joy. And, you know, you see over – I mean, that's basically from almost pre-internet or at least pre the popular internet 2002 today – and this is one of the worst PDFs I've ever seen, by the way. And, and, and that Duncan study makes it, it sound me. so boring. No, no, Duncan sent it to me. And before I even read it, I looked at it and said, you're going to have to try and make this interesting for the shit show. Also, they haven't capitalized like any of the titles. It's Which crazy. is kind of Gen Z. I don't, like, know, I don't know how this thing was allowed to go on the internet. You'd think the internet no, would just look at it and go, no, bounce. I know. Well, and I would have, but you are actually good at consuming things in a meaningful way. But when you actually look into the study, which we're about to, the research is really interesting because it's trying to look at, again, this is what Duncan has said, but I'm just putting it in slightly easier language. It's just looking at emotions in headlines and like the words used in headlines to kind of I haven't actually heard about the results that you're about to tell me about but maybe it will d- show us how the world's kind of well what, what, what it does yeah it does and and it kind of s- explain I think it explains a lot like it basically divides it up into kind of left-leaning right-leaning and kind of broadly centrist mm-hmm. media and it it the the thing that buzzes me out about it is like like it's broadly like flat like it's bumpy but it, within a range for the first 10 years yeah and then suddenly all of the real freaky things anger disgust fear sadness etc just go up yeah. and to the right and so does that mean until 2010 headlines from news outlets like from the study which is 2000 to 2010 no 2000 to 2019 but until 2010 it looks like News headlines were pretty neutral. They were trying to keep emotion out of the headlines. No, I think there was there was emotion in headlines, but it stayed within a particular curve. Right. Like like it was deployed with in certain situations yes. where it felt appropriate. Yeah. It was not sort of it didn't escalate to become much more common. And that's yeah. what we see over the course of this is just those those kind of 
th- those emotions that really sort of impact you that honestly feel like the governing emotions of 2014, 15 onwards yeah. have just massively rise. Now, you can say, is this correlation or causation? Like, the world has been freaky. We should express that in headlines. But also, you know, if you're wondering why, you know, you, whenever you open a news app, yeah. it feels like the, the world's going to hell. That's potentially why. And remember, this ends pre-pandemic, so God knows what it would look like now. Yeah, true. Well, I can see right now anger's gone way up. Anger's huge. No, actually, anger, fear, disgust, and sadness have all gone way up. Joy has gone down, and neutral's gone way down. Way down. Like, way down. So... That it, is interesting. It is interesting. And, uh, you know, obviously there are so many things that could feed into it. Like really should consider this a bundle of data points, but yeah. you should not. But you should be very careful about saying, well, this is why. And here's me about to say <laughs> my theory of this is why is like that's when the algo hit, right? Yeah. That's where you the incentive was not to say that seems fine. Yeah. It's it's to say, it's to basically make an ever more extreme response because that's the only way yeah. of generating attention within the algorithm, first on Facebook and now essentially everywhere. And True. news organizations are hostage to that too. Like if you have a like economy basically okay, no one's clicking there. Yes. But if you have the warning sides flashing red for the economy, yes. which you can always find a data point to support that, you get the click. And so you, I think that the whole economy, attention economy, has just been really radically reorganized. And to me, this is – that's my theory. Yeah, that's <laughs> a really good theory. Like the algorithm and us having to be at the mercy of it has obviously changed the way that we're presenting the thing we want people to read. Also in newsletters, you can see the subject lines are so fucking important. Like the ones where you're saying like really bad news are like heaps, heaps of opens. And then some which is like, why we should all really care about this thing. No, no one cares. Like, I've made a about. giant mistake. Yeah. Oh, I fucked up or my dad fucked up. <laughs> Huge. Through the roof engagement. But we can't be doing that every day. <laughs> Even though I do you, fuck you, up. You wish. You wish you could. I know. I wish I could. Engagement hacks. Dunk, I have another story to bring to you. Please, give it to me. It is about yay. Kanye West, formerly known. And this is complicated and you don't have to... We don't have to lean into it too hard because we have two-part series, a two-part series on Culture Vulture, giving the context of Ye and why he is how he is and everything that got him there. It's and very I, good. I still think that's very imp listening, very important listening to the stories we're talking about today, but less, like, I think what he is doing now has far outweighed the context of him. I think he's just actually quite dangerous now. And we spoke about him, spoke about him on the last episode of The Shit Show and his anti-Semitic comments. And I'm just going to give a wee update on what sort of organisations and brands have done. Um, it's funny, right, because he was borderline bankrupt a few years ago, just couldn't seem to stop like money running through his fingers. And now... You know, he was essentially like a, a billionaire prior to to this happening. You know, he's he's lost nearly half of his net worth as a result. But he's a these brands like it's not just like a a celebrity endorsement. Like this dude loves my watches. This is like he is hundreds of millions of dollars to to people like Adidas to yeah. Balenciaga. So this this is a big thing that just happened. Yeah, I know, and he has been just spewing the most fucking ignorant bullshit that I. 
have ever heard, not that I've ever heard, but it's pretty fucking bad. And, like, these people that are platforming him at the moment also just aren't great people either. I mean, that is not a very unbiased thing to say, but in my humble opinion, I'm not going to even name the podcast that he's sort of been going on because I actually don't really want people to go and listen to them and get them all those listeners it's, and the uh, ad revenue. And- totally. It's, it's, it's really like it just like a whole – I mean, it, it feels tragic. Like yeah. the whole thing of just watching someone who to me certainly was one of the – one of, I don't know, to me was the most significant creative yeah. figure of, of this millennium so far just disintegrate. And mental health comes into this hugely, hugely, like hugely, which again is why you should go and listen to all the context about this. But I have seen lots of headlines being like, you, we no longer need to preface talking about yay as he was a visionary, he was the best at this, or he struggles with this. It's like, we need to know all of that. But I've seen people with bipolar disorder speaking out about this and saying, I have this that Kanye struggles with, that yay struggles with, and I don't use it as an excuse or to explain me being really racist or me like hurting a whole group of people. So anyway, that's a whole lot of context to say. He went on some podcasts. He said some more really fucked up shit. So he also – so one of the things that's happened since we last spoke, everyone, is that the family of George Floyd is filing a $250 million lawsuit against him because – even though it has been like proven and ruled that George Floyd's death was a homicide caused by Derek Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck. We all know about it. Horrifying. But Kanye went on this podcast and said that it was fentanyl use. And like he knows. Uh, anyway, the world knows. He knows. I don't know why he fucking said that. Um, but now George George Floyd's family is filing a lawsuit against Ye. So that's one of the things. On the same podcast, Ye um, said, and I quote, about his relationship with Adidas, I can literally say anti-Semitic shit and they can't drop me. Dramatically pauses. I can say anti-Semitic things and Adidas can't drop me. Now what? And then Adidas were quiet for like, I think about a week or quite a while after he said this and people were really like, mm, you need to do something. Yeah. It's like, this is fucked. You need then to drop him. Your, your country and company has not an unblemished record when it comes to freaking anti-Semitism. Yeah, literally. Um, and if you actually look into the um, history of Adidas, there's some really interesting roots with the Nazi party there. But anyway, that's, um, do you know about that? Yes. Yeah, but we're not going to go into that today. Kind well, of. Basically, what what's happened is he's finally everything before felt he could recover his, you know, his artistic reputation, which is almost a category difference. But certainly, he could re-enter society with this being put down to sort of an episode, and now that feels gone. Yeah, the bridge is is over, yes. and he. He's definitively kind of thrown his light in with some of the bleakest people mm-hmm. of the internet. And that is where the story ends, really, yeah. because he won't be allowed back onto mainstream social media platforms. Yeah. He'll never be reported on as anything other than, yeah, like, this, this disintegration. Dude. And, you know, that's yeah, that just, like, is what it is at, at this point. Yeah. And so Adidas have actually dropped him now, thankfully. Balenciaga have also cut ties with him. Vogue and Anna Wintour cut ties. 
He was dropped by the talent agency, CAA. He was dropped by his lawyer. Obviously, like, streams and sales of all his music and shit's gone down. He's been restricted, like you said, from the major social media platforms. Stadium shows of his have been cancelled. A documentary that was going to be made on him has been shelved. Like, consequences to his actions have definitely been seen and felt. Um, Whether he will see them or feel them in this, like era that he's in or in the state that he's in i'm not sure it'll just feed his yeah. sense of you know there's a, there's a clearly like yes. a kind of a persecution complex now he has a whole bunch of real things that he can point to and did you hear that he was buying parlor yes did he buy that do we know i, I don't know whether the transactions close i mean parlor parlor is a sort of a twitter-like social network that was briefly you know, around for the free, the free speech absolutist crowd. It still nominally exists, but has like 50,000 yeah. monthly active users. It really isn't a thing. So the act of him buying it is, you know, sure. It's such can... a trend, eh? It's such like a, I want free speech. I'm not going to do it on the main. Well, I can't do it on main. So I'll go and buy this niche thing or Trump. I'll start Truth Social or even Elon to a degree. I'll buy the town hall. Yeah. Um, Which is actually fucking interesting when you put these people with these things. I mean, honestly, it also helps, you know, if you were to write some headlines about this, might be a little bit of fear, a little bit of anger. True. Touch of despair. <laughs> and no neutrality. No neutrality. Yeah, no I neutrality. mean, like, we do live in weird times. Let's, let's not. Let's not. Yeah. <laughs> let's not beat around the bush. Final thing on yay. All of this is happening at the same time as Taylor Swift is breaking, like, every record under the sun for midnights. So, karma is not just her boyfriend. Karma is the yeah. person that called her out on the stage at MTV. That juxtaposition is is, uh, is real that, and rough. That's real rough. And we're not going to get into Midnight's because we talked about that on Culture Vulture last week. And I don't want Duncan to be leaving on a bad foot. <laughs> nah, Duncan's a huge Swifty. I am. All I two am. our 10-minute version still in your top songs of ever. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Always oh, will yeah. be. Like, yeah. <laughs> Always will be. Oi, someone said to me last night at dinner, this is a little bit of a side note, that Macklemore's Downtown is this generation's Bohemian Rhapsody. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I honestly... Lost my mind. We like. That's amazing. No, Duncan. Duncan. Oh, I'm not gonna lie. Downtown's a fucking bop. Like I love downtown for all that it is, but not for more. Not for being this generation's Bohemian Rhapsody. I died. To be fair, we're in different generations. Me and this person at dinner. Um, but yeah, just thought that should that should pop up. Maybe that's my good news story because I didn't bring one. So. Good news. Someone thinks that downtown is this Jen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Can you even make that distinct? Like, can you even make that comparison? Do you have one? Do, do, do I have a... This generation's Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, I mean, the it's, it's it, like, I think the Bohemian Rhapsody of a generation thing is is complicated, right? Do you, do you mean like an, an anthem that has multiple movements yeah. that feels like it? Yeah kind of, uh, you know, encapsulates yeah. a, a particular mood. Like, uh, you know, like Welcome to the Black Black Parade yeah, okay, was absolutely yes. that in the mid-00s because yeah. it, you know, it had the, you know, it was almost self-consciously aping Queen in yeah. some respects. Uh, I'm totally blank. No. <laughs> Ruby, give me one minute because yeah. there's a Radiohead song which is absolutely oh. was that in the 90s. Oh, okay. 
in the 90s, it was Paranoid Android. You know, again, seven minutes long, all these different yeah. movements. Like that, that Radiohead song for 90s kids, high, just, you know, it, it kind of gripped us. Like, you know, I, I, I've, like, I actually think uh, Kanye has had, like, like, had quite a few moments on, on some of his albums where he's just really stretched out, gone 10 minutes long, had beat shifts. Like, you know, so I think imagining that it will always be a, a rock yeah. song by, by, like, a bunch of white guys kind of mad. But, uh, look, Macklemore seems like a stretch to me. No, but I, I, people should be comfortable oh, kind of totally. nominating their own. There's nothing more in the eye of the beholder than this so true. Bohemian Rhapsody. And, like, then I took that, tweeted it, put it in the newsletter, and now talked about it on a podcast. So, But, no, I love this person. And they wanted me to go home straight away and watch the music video. And I did. Anyway, um, team. I think that might be the end of this podcast. Have you done both your news stories? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it took like half an hour. I mean, I'm true. so sorry. I think I've wrecked the format. No, no. The format is very malleable. That's the whole vibe. We're not experts, remember? Not experts at all. And we can tell with you, hun. Um, if you loved this episode, you should oh, you should go and listen to The Fold or read some shit on the spinoff. You should also subscribe to the Daily Newsletter, but I know that you already do. And if you really, really love it and want to help us pay to continue to do it, you should become a Cisco supporter. And I'm one. Duncan's one. Strongly endorse paying. Your, 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 your phrase, normalize paying for the media you love, is just, it's mad. Thanks, Dunk. Because we should pay for the media we love. But again, you all know that because I say it all the time. Thanks, Dunk, for being here. So fun. So fun. No, I want to do it more often. Maybe you'll see Dunk a little bit more in the future. Hopefully. (laughs) And thank you, Ruby, for editing it. Love you. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.